If you'll turn in your Bibles to the first chapter of the book of John. We've been going through the prologue over the last couple months, and we've come several weeks ago to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That means that God himself became a man. Jesus Christ is God. There is nothing clearer than that. Jesus Christ is God, our maker. Jesus Christ, the man we worship as God, is God. And there is nothing other to to worship anything else would be a waste of my time. To be a waste of your time, our souls would not be saved by anyone less than God himself. But Jesus Christ came as a man to redeem men. Because there was not a one of us that were not fallen. Not a one of us that were not hell-bound. Not a one of us that through any effort of our own would have ever had anything except damnation. For that reason, God, knowing what our state was, did the only thing that God, omnipotent God, knew to do. And that is become man. It is astounding. It is beyond our ability to, to comprehend it or to explain it. But this verse 14, and the word was made flesh, Jesus who preexisted all things, who was always God, who never started being God, became a man and dwelt among us to do something that only men could do. Only men could die for men. Only men could live as God intended man to live. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He came and lived for us. And then died for us because we had already messed everything up. We already were condemned. And he took our condemnation. So everything that we're talking about now has to come out of the fact that something happened in time. Something unbelievable happened in time. The most important event that this world has ever seen, that this cosmos has ever witnessed. And that is God Almighty became a human being a creature, and lived among us in squalor and in poverty and in oppression and in weakness, seemingly all the way to the cross, only to be shown to be the greatest that has ever been and will ever be. So when we get to verse 15 or 14, it says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. So John the Apostle joins his voice to John the Baptist in saying that something very, very astonishing has happened. And that's when God came to us, we saw his glory. And he didn't know what to say other than that. He only can testify. John is a a brilliant person with a lovely pen. But he could only say what was true. And what was true was that his friend Jesus, the one he felt safe around, the one who was kind to him, the one that he knew to be his friend, was also his maker. And he didn't know how to say it other than in monumental ways that the word who was always God became a man. John the Baptist adds in 15, 
And John bare witness of him, crying, This is whom I spake, that he that comes after me is preferred before me, before he was before me. So you have a prophet, the last of the prophets, and the first of the apostles that put their voices together to say something happened, something bigger than big happened on a Christmas day, something that will be unexplainable fully for all of eternity. We will be a million years saved with still not a 100% comprehension of how wonderful Jesus Christ is or what he did when he came to rescue us because it's bigger than our ability. And God is going to bless us as we learn, as our brains and as our understanding expand through the endless ages so that every day we will worship a God bigger than the one we knew existed yesterday because God will become more and more and more to his people. That is what his intent was. His intent was that we would be his people and that he would be our God. This verse in 17 is what we're going to look at today. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. See, there's a comparison here. There's a contrast here. Something was true of Moses. Something was true of the law given by Moses. And you have to remember, it was Jesus Christ who gave Moses the law. It was Jesus the Son, the the Word of God, the communication of God, the expression of anything God had to say to men. That it was Jesus in the burning bush. It was Jesus who explained the law. This law, which will never go away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But God's law will never pass away. This is not something God despises. This is something that is exactly the same as God. When you look at the holy law, you realize it's exactly like God. Now, I knew where I was going today, so when Miss Louise was reading the Ten Commandments, my mind wasn't wondering. I sat on every commandment with shame and realized I had completely, every single one, I had killed it. I had, with shame, had many gods before God. Many gods have I had before God. On a daily, minute-by-minute basis, anything that's shinier and and closer to my heart than God is, is my God. And I I have broken that commandment repeatedly. I have, as a Christian, broken it. Do you see? It's I have to continuously say the same lesson again. Our holding with God, our standing with God, has 100% to do with what Jesus did when he lived for us. That means that we're accepted in him. So when I see sin in my life, I'm I'm absolutely ashamed because I want to do right. The law of Moses to a Christian is lovely. It's breathtakingly beautiful because it's what a Christian does when he lives for, for God. When I have my motives the same as his motives, when my heart is the same as his heart, that's what, that's what a Christian does. That's what, that's what I ache for. I want to express to him love the same way that he loves me. I want my character to be the same as Jesus' character. 
The law of Moses is not something thrown away by Christians. We talked to a lady last week who said, oh, I'm so glad my Sunday school class is out of the Old Testament finally. She said, I know that it's part of the Bible, but I like the New Testament. And I thought, okay, don't have time to talk to her about this. (laughs) I just let it go just because I was like, okay, this is going to take a month. Because the Old Testament law is not something you throw away because Jesus came. The Old Testament law is now lived out in a different way. The Old Testament law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to try to unpack today. So the first thing is I wanted to give you a quote. I don't give you a lot of quotes, but there was a friend of Martin Luther who wrote this in 1532, okay? And I just thought, I want this, I want this, I want to know this. This is, And it's just a short little three sentences. It said, the word of the Lord has two offices. So he's talking about the entire Bible. The entire Bible has two purposes, okay? To kill and to give life. That the Bible is intended to kill you, and the Bible is intended to give you life. Now, that first sentence, I was intrigued. I'm interested. I want to know what he had to say. The first, it said, to reveal sin and to remit sin. It shows that I'm a sinner and takes my sin away. That the the Bible does both of these things. It works wrath and it makes grace known. So it shows the wrath of God towards my sin and shows me the grace that's always God's plan A for me. Both of those are required. It kills, uh, it reveals what is righteous, and it gives righteous. So it shows me who God is, perfectly shows me who God is, and then gives me that righteousness of Jesus Christ to me that I might be right in front of God. The Bible does this. It is worth our study. It is worth every minute of your life study. It is worth bringing your little children to Sunday school to where that they will have some idea And then it's worth you digging with your deepest shovel all of your life until you meet the Lord. It is inexhaustible because it has two offices. It kills you and it gives you life. Now, what I have seen in the Christian church, as I look in the Christian church, and as I'm so sad so often, is I see many people who have been brought to a gospel before there was ever sin brought to them by the law. The law never showed them that they were sinners. They never showed the sin. There was no embarrassment in front of God. There was no horror in front of God. There was no absolutely knowledge that they are undone and and hell-bound. And so, for instance, if you were to have just the law, if I only had the law and I never had the gospel, I would only have despair. Either I would believe I was good, I would fake you and fake me and everybody's okay and I'm good, and I, or privately I would know that I'm not good and I would despair. I would simply endure my life until I went to hell. If a person without the gospel, that's all they have. They only have God's law condemning them, taking their life, snuffing it out, only giving them wrath, only giving them judgment because that's what the law promises. If you break the law, even once, even once, there is nothing that you have to look forward to except extreme misery and pain forever. 
because that is what it means to not be righteous in front of God. God is bigger than we think he is, and he insists that we are as righteous as he is, and that is all of his creatures. So that has to inform my looking out to other people and preaching the gospel to them because they, whether they know or they don't know, they will be judged according to God's righteousness on the last day and be found wanting, just like I'm a found wanting. And only then would they know, be able to know the gospel. So if you have the galah but have no gospel, you have despair. But what I see often is I see a gospel that is presented to people with no reason for a gospel. There's no reason for good news because they've never been given bad news. If I have not sinned against God, if I am not damned, if I am not already judged, what does the gospel mean to me? What it really means is that I'm a good person and I am a good Christian person. That's what it means. And I see that in so many people. I see a holier-than-thou approach to simply being good in front of other people so that they're not as good as other people. And that's what I see. Now, there are countless real Christian people who are trusting the blood of Jesus. So many. There will be an infinite multitude of people in front of, of, of God from this generation, from our town. But there are so many who have a gospel with no law. See, this guy said both preachers are required. It kills, he continues. It reveals sin. It works wrath, and it reveals what is righteous through the law. It gives life. It remits sin. It makes grace known and gives righteousness through the gospel. The law was exhibited through Moses, but the gospel was exhibited through Christ. And so that's what I want to sit today. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's verse 17. You have to remember that the law, in some ways, the uh, Christians are kind of have two minds. We're taught that the law means nothing to us, so we ignore it. But then we ignore it, and then we don't live righteously. Because the law is the way Jesus would live. Jesus was born under the law. That means he lived exactly like the law says. Well, if that's what Jesus lived, and God's whole uh, whole reason for me is for my sanctification, his will, Jesus said, the will of God for you is your sanctification. That you be holy like he is. Well, what that means is you're living out God's character. You're living out the character of Jesus Christ in your personality. Your person with Jesus' character. That's God's intent for us. That's what it means. So the law had purposes. The law was, is actually holy. It's, it's good. Okay? It, it had his requirements for his people. It was, given to separate his people from the uh, from the heathen nation so they would be different, that they would look differently. It also demonstrated that no human being could in themselves be pure. So it forced me to know that I needed a savior. So the law is like a teacher with a switch that points me to the savior so that I would have a savior because either I will face judgment and death Or I will repent of my sins and trust Jesus and come to Jesus on his righteousness. That's what it is. Now, verse 17 that we're looking at today, but the law came, was given through Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus, came by Jesus Christ is, starts with the word because. 
So it's referring back to what we just saw. So we saw in verse 14 that we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So it's talking about his glory, and it's talking in 16, and of his fullness we have received grace for grace, grace upon grace, grace in replacing of other grace. God's continuously pouring grace on us. Those are the two things that he's talking about. But he's talking about it in a contrast. But for that reason, because the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So we have to look and see, well, what does that mean? Does it mean the law wasn't glorious or that the law wasn't true or the law wasn't gracious? If he's making a contrast, he's setting it apart against Grace, he's saying, the law came through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, but grace came by Jesus Christ. That means that it's compared, it's a contrast. That grace came here, but it didn't come here. Or truth came here, but it didn't come here. Well, in some ways, the law was grace. Remember, it was Adam who had said, you eat of this and you will die. On the day you eat of it, you will die. That's a much scarier command than the law of Moses. The law of Moses was you're guilty, but if you bring this sacrifice, I will accept you. Do you see there's grace there? There's grace there because it points to a sacrifice. Now, these are pictures of Jesus. All of them are. These are pictures of Jesus. The way Jesus will allow you to be right with God is is from the law. So the law is gracious. There's lots of grace in it. And the law is true. Jesus said, your word is truth. Jesus is telling God, your, every word that proceeds out of your mouth is truth. It is truth. But in some way, John the Apostle right here is saying, Jesus is truth in a different way than, than the gospel, than the law was truth. Jesus is grace in a different, more magnified way than the gospel or than the law was gracious. So I remember, I remember about a year ago, we went through 2 Corinthians 3. This is from verse 7 in 2 Corinthians 3. We went through this, and I remember this passage. This says, if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious. So this is the Ten Commandments. It was so glorious that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Remember, just just Moses coming on the mountain to get the tables of stone was so glorious that he had shine left on his face when he came down the mountain. Just the fact that he received God's words had glory attached to it. For the ministry of condemnation be glory, how much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory? What that's saying is the same thing. The law came was given to Moses, but grace and truth came to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ coming into this world gave glory in a way that was never given by a, simply a requirement. The law was given, and it was just a statement of requirement. This is what's required of you. But it didn't help you at all. Nothing at all was allowed to help you. It just told you were guilty, it told you were sick, and it told you were condemned. There was no way that it helped. This is from Augustine. Augustine lived in the 4th century, and this is what he wrote when he came to verse 17. The law threatened, but didn't help. It commanded, but didn't heal. It showed, but it didn't take away our feebleness. 
but it made us ready for the physician who was come with grace and truth. Tell me that's not beautiful. It doesn't help you. It only tells me that I'm wrong. It tells me that I'm condemned. But do you realize if I don't know I'm condemned, I won't seek the Savior. If I don't know that I'm damned, I will not run to my only hope because I don't think I need a hope. I think I'm fine. I must be condemned. I must know who God is. I must know God's standard, and I must know that my standard is not the same. That's grace. It's grace, but it's crushing. It's required of you. You will not receive Jesus. You will not come to the Lord in faith if you do not know that you're desperate for it. If you are not, because if it's your not your only hope, if you can get by any other way, you're fine. But if you know that you're not right with God, if you know it in your heart, I'm not right with God, and I'm waiting for my condemnation, then if you know it, the law pushes you to the cross. To the cross, it pushes you to the to the Savior. It allows you to see what was offered for you, and then it's breath in your lungs, it's light in your eyes. You can see it. the The law prepared you. It allowed you to be ready for the physician that was come with grace and with truth. Okay, so the law, remember, says, "Do this and live." But Jesus Christ said, "God has made you alive. Accept that." Do you see the difference? There is such a difference. The law was given to Moses just as a commandment, as a as just an, a straightforward commandment that you have to deal with. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Do you see that verb? It came when Jesus Christ was born. Grace came to us when Jesus Christ was born. Truth came to us. Now I scratch my head about that. How is the, the word of God true, but Jesus is more true. That, that I, I had to sit and just chew on that. How is Jesus more true? And I really came to the conclusion, it's the idea that Jesus is the real. Remember when we studied Hebrews and we got to ch- chapter 10 and it said that the, the law was simply pictures of Jesus. It was shadows and pictures of the real. It was the picture of the Ferrari, if you remember my picture of my Ferrari. Okay, It was what was going to happen in Christ. But when Jesus Christ came, born in a barn, that grace and truth came in such a way that he brought it really. He was actually there. When John realized that Jesus loved him and called himself the disciple that Jesus loved, it was... It was true. It was in his face. It was right there. It was God had come to him. It was for him. It was his. John was changed because Jesus loved him. It wasn't that for God so loved the world. It was for God so loved John the Apostle. That's why John was changed. Everything was changed when Jesus came to him. That's what I think it means by true. Grace and truth came. The law was given. The commandment was written. It was done. It was the penalty was already set. But when Jesus came, truth came. Okay, when he came, it it was real. Colossians 2.17 says this, which are a shadow of things to come, talking about the law, but the body is Christ. The body is Christ. That means the real, the actual. The way, if you want to know what God truly thinks of you, 
He loves you because he sent his son. You, there's no way you can ever come around. You can't ever get around that. He sent his son for you. He loves you. That's the same. If he would send his son for you, would he not with him give you all things? That was what Paul said. If he would give you that, I promise you, you go into Tiffany's and buy the biggest diamond on the, on the display counter, they'll give you a blue box to put it in. If God sent his son for you and gave his son's life for you, would he not also with him give you freely all things? You get the bag. It comes with the diamond. It's it's not a big deal for God to provide everything you need for the rest of your life and to work in your life that you might trust him more and work in your life that you might trust the world less. That's God's love for you because he's already given you all things. You are already in heaven with him in his mind. It's already continuously happened. God is not in time. It is the same right now that you are in glory with Christ because of what Christ did for you. So so the law was a shadow, but the real came with Jesus Christ. He was born under the law. Now, when Jesus came, he came not to replace the law. So when you look at it, you can't say the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, as though that poor lady who said, finally, we're out of the Old Testament into something I like, as though it doesn't mean anything, that it's worthless to me. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot and one tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do them and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I would love to be able to just understand this fully and be able to communicate it beautifully. I'm not sure I can. But there is something very, very important here. The Old Testament to an unsaved person is death. It will only condemn you. There is no help for you. It only tells you that you're wrong with God. But to a saved person, the Old Testament is life. To a saved person who is resting in the righteousness of Christ... Everything about the law is beautiful because it is exactly like God's character. There is nothing like it. So when it says, honor your father and your mother, I'm like, how does Jesus do that? I said something unthinking and, and hurtful and unmeaning to my dad, my, my little dad, okay, who I'm all about trying to serve, but yet I was just tired and I just didn't say the right thing, and I basically ignored him when I shouldn't have ignored him. That was this week. How would Jesus honor his father and his mother? In what way would God be like God? Do you see? I'm just convinced that I'm always unlike God. I always do it wrong. I always flub. I'm never thoughtful enough. I'm never considerate enough. I'm not godly enough. But I have hope. 
because I know that God has changed my life. I know that I'm better than I once was, so I know that there's something in me that God is working, so I have hope in that. But I don't, I'm not based upon my own ability to keep it, but I want it. I want to live like Jesus lives. I want to. The Old Testament is life to a saved person, but the Old Testament can't save you. The Old Testament drives you to despair, and when you are at the end of your rope, you find the Savior that was presented for you, and when you come to him, you come to him with your full heart. And when you do, there is delight that fills your life. And then I want to live, because now I'm really alive for the first time. I can live. So the Old Testament is the rules for life, but I can't get to God by the Old Testament. It's how I live my life. So when when we see that this is all based upon what has just happened, John had just out of his mouth said, "We have of his fullness we have received grace for grace. So I, I thought, wow, that's expanded a little bit than what I had said the other day. When I preached grace upon grace, if you remember, it was that idea of an ocean wave, one grace coming in after another, one coming out, one coming in, one not even spent until another one comes and crashes in on your head. That God, because of his love, he's not offended with his children, will graciously treat them all their days. But then I look and say, this says we have from his fullness received grace instead of grace. Grace upon grace. Grace replacing other grace. And then I see, wow, that's what it says. Because the law came, uh, was given to Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So when you see that the law, which says do this and live, is a grace, at least I can please God. Now Jesus Christ comes and replaces that, and now the grace means I do please God. It's not the possibility that if I do exactly right, I please God. By trusting Christ, I do please God. There is nothing that God has offended with us. That that has to break into your heart. God is not offended. He loves you fully not offended because you are trusting his son. That is grace upon grace, grace replacing grace, grace instead of grace. So I just want to encourage you again. If you've trusted the Lord, love it. It was yours. It's all you want. It's all you want. It's all that you love. If you have got to the point where you know you're not right with God and the law is crushing you, which it will, thank the Lord for that crushing And turn to the Savior who's been offered to you. And all of it is for God's glory. Because it was Jesus Christ who gave the law. And it was Jesus Christ who came with grace and truth.